Good morning. Yeah. Pastor Manuel has a gift for making those little little things out. Um, I want to just welcome all of you this morning. Uh, those of you who call Harvest Renewal home, those of you who may be watching online, um, guests. Uh, the book of Proverbs says that a man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. So we just want to acknowledge this morning that it's God who has granted us and gathered us here this morning. Amen. Um, today actually is a pretty special day for a couple reasons. Number one, I happen to know that it is our brother Muhammad's birthday. So feel, so feel free to give him a nice hug before you leave. He will, he does accept cash and credit cards. <laughs> I know he loves me sharing that. Um, Secondly, today there are roughly 300 million people all over the world who are celebrating Easter again. Uh, for them, it's the first time because the Greek Orthodox Church follows a slightly different calendar. But why not? If uh, there's a holiday that deserves a second day, the resurrection is a good one. Um, in Russia, where I was born, this is arguably the biggest religious holiday on the books. So those of us who now live in the States uh, get to have two celebrations for Easter and Resurrection. And if you're here this morning and you are of Russian descent or if you're celebrating Easter for the second time, uh, just greet you with Jesus Vaskrias. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, this, this is, this, as I was preparing, I was thinking about, so my grandfather, um, Mikhail Ostrovsky, that's actually my mom and dad here, and uh, my, my mom's father, uh, he had some paperwork change happen when he was younger, and although he was technically born in October, his new birth certificate said January, so every time either of those two dates came around, he wanted a birthday party. And so we were sorry to tell Grandpa that, you know, he couldn't have two of them. But Jesus, he deserves to have two of them. The same thing happens for Christmas as well. Amen? All right. Um, as you can see in your bulletin, the topic of my message today is encounter and engage. Our mission here at Harvest is to live out the kingdom by encountering God, equipping the believer, and engaging others around us with the love of Christ. That's who we are. And um, this morning, I hope to accomplish the second E, uh, which is equipping you, the believer, by contemplating the first and the last E, encounter and engage. First, we're going to hear the testimony of two men who were in severe bondage until they had a radical encounter with Jesus Christ. Next, we will examine um, the mandate and the privilege of engaging the lost people around us. So, if you have your Bible, let's dive in. Uh, Mark chapter 5, as we explore the Word of God and what it has to say about the invitation of encounter and the necessity of engaging others. Mark chapter 5, verse 1. When you have it, say, I have it. Right. Then they came to the other side to the country of the Gadarenes. Say that word, Gadarenes. All right. And we, when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him. And the shackles broken in pieces, neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. So in this story, we meet a man who can break iron chains and shackles that men have made, but himself is in serious bondage. This man is in isolation. He's living among the tombs. He lives in darkness and loneliness. Do you know what a tomb means? Today we would say he lives in the graveyard. 
Although this man is alive, he lives among the dead. His home is a cemetery. This man is oppressed. He's alone. He's in severe bondage. Notice this. It said night and day. This man is crying. And then there's this other sad detail about him that he's cutting himself. And so this is a sad, sad image. Um, And although not as wild and maybe obvious outwardly, the truth is there are many people who are in bondage and chains like this man that live all around us. They're alive physically but dead spiritually. And I don't know if you realize this, but according to Scripture, this sad and miserable condition is the plight of every single man and woman who's alive who doesn't have a thriving, breathing relationship with Jesus Christ. Everybody is in the state of this man, just manifesting it differently. And so um, I'm not saying that every lost person has a demon, thankfully. Um, but according to, to Ephesians 2.1, the Bible says we are all dead and trespassed in sin until Christ makes us alive. And so here we encounter this man And what we're going to do is we're going to talk about, um, first, people encountering Jesus. And you're going to see this man have an encounter with Christ. And then we're going to look at engaging people with the love of God. So the Bible teaches, and this is clear. I know most of you get this, but we have guests, and we don't want to kind of run over truths that are so precious. The Bible teaches that unless a man is born again, he is completely separated from the life and love of God internally. And so if a person doesn't know God, it is not well with their soul, no matter how much joy they look like they're having, no matter how peaceful or successful they are. And this is important to realize because as we look at people on the outside, at our job, wherever, you know, people, they, they aim and drive and strive every day to look like they have their stuff together. And if we're not careful, we'll buy in. We're like, oh, well, you know, Mr. So-and-so looks like he's, you know, he's doing pretty good for himself. But apart from a living, breathing relationship with the creator of heaven and earth, you are empty and you are blind and you are lost. And I think what people sometimes don't realize is the thing that they're looking for in their emptiness and their depression, they're looking for different things to fulfill them, not realizing that he is the fulfillment. It's all found in him. Depression, loneliness, addiction, he is the answer to all of those things. And you sit here with the answer in your bosom, in your hand, and in your life. Before I had an encounter with Christ, this is where I was. I was chained to all sorts of sin, drug addiction. I was bound to heroin, cigarettes, pornography, alcohol, marijuana. I was depressed. I was purposeless. I was completely unsatisfied. I was lost, directionless. I was suicidal at times. I used to cut myself, and I hated my life. I was alive on the outside, but dead inside. Just like this man, I was miserable day and night. And there are scores of people around us who live like this internally. I personally believe that people are either daily loving, serving, worshiping, obeying, and clinging to Jesus, or they're daily in discontent, misery, and emptiness, and unhappiness. These are the only two options, I believe, irrespective of how much money one has, number of possessions, status, or the like. Now, this isn't what psychology or sociology will tell you. They'll say, hey, if you have certain things and possessions and statuses that your life, you know, will do better than others. But um, as far as I can tell, there are only two kinds of people the Bible recognizes. You're either alive or you are dead. You're either lost or you're found. You either know God or you don't. You're either in darkness or in the light. Can I hear an amen? But praise God, Jesus said he came to give life and that more abundant, a life that we've never known before that he's come to bring. And in a moment, everything can change. And in a moment, this useless drug addict's life changed. And in a moment, as you'll see, this demoniac's life changed. Let's pick up in verse uh, 6. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. That's a good response. And he cried out with a loud voice saying, 
What have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. For he said to him, come out of the man, unclean spirit. Verse 9, then Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he answered, saying, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there uh, near the mountains. So look closely, verse 12, all the demons begged him, saying, send us to the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. The unclean spirits, with an S, went out and entered the swine. There was about 2,000, and the herd ran violently down the steep place to the sea and drowned. So Jesus, speaking to the demons inside of this man, he says, what is your name? And the demons replied, legion. What is a legion? A legion is a body of soldiers like a Roman regiment, which in the time of Augustus consisted of 6,826 men. And it would be 6,100 foot soldiers and 726 horsemen. Mind-blowing. The scripture seems to be alluding that this legion was close to 7,000 demons that when he releases them, 2,000 pigs run and kill, and, and the demons basically kill the pigs. And I think personally that this spirit, this unclean spirit, its desire upon this man was that he would kill himself. And when they got into a host that had a weaker will, they had, they had what they wanted. And so, so think about this. 7,000 almost demons inside of this man. What in the world? I'm reminded of Matthew chapter 26. Jesus is ready to be arrested. Peter pulls out the sword. He cuts off the servant's ear. Jesus rebukes him, tells him, put the sword back in the sheath. He who lives by the sword dies by it. He looks to Peter. He says, do you not know that I can pray to my father right now, and he will dispatch 12 legions of angels? What's he saying? Peter, I can have 80,000 angels show up and wreck this place. But how will the scripture be fulfilled? Crazy, crazy, mind-blowing stuff. Listen, I believe in angels, and I believe in demons, because Jesus did. Um, Let's continue. Verse 14. So those who fed the swine fled, and they told it in the city and in the country, and they went out to see what it was that had happened. Then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed And had the legion sitting, clothed, and in his right mind, and they were afraid. My goodness. I like like the way Luke's gospel paints this in chapter 8. It says, when the people came to see what had happened, they saw the man sitting at the feet of Jesus. Clothed, because Luke says the man didn't have clothes on, and in his right mind. My goodness. And so what happens? This man encounters Jesus, and he immediately is set free, made alive, made whole. This is the God we serve. Do you know this Jesus that I I speak of this morning? As we come back to our title, this man encounters Jesus. He encounters truth. He encounters freedom himself, itself. And immediately, what do we see him doing? Watch this. Uh, Verse 16, and those who saw it told them what had happened and who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. In verse 17, they began to plead with him to depart from the region. And when he got in the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. So this demon-possessed man wants to get in the boat and go with Jesus. Verse 19, however, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends. And tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And verse 20, and he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. This is the biblical pattern of encountering Jesus and engaging others. What's amazing to me is the instruction that Jesus gave him. Look at verse 19 really closely with me. Jesus says, go home to your friends. Go to your people and tell them these two things. Number one, what great things the Lord has done for you. Number two, how he has had 
compassion or mercy on you. Quick question. How many of you have had the Lord do great things in your life? How many of you have had the Lord be merciful and compassionate to you? If you have, then you can begin to engage others around you. So Jesus, is, Jesus leaves the town. But although Jesus left the town, Jesus didn't forget to leave a witness of himself in that town. Not only in Gadara, but it said that the man in verse 20 went to a place called Decapolis. That word means ten cities, just like we would say tri-city. So Gadara is one town inside of ten called Decapolis. And the man went to all of Decapolis and began to share and proclaim about Jesus. Look at verse 17. This is, this is gnarly right here. Sorry. Verse 17. So the people who fed the swine ran off and brought the whole town out. And they're like, what happened to the pigs? They hear the story. They see the man who probably terrorized their town, who knew of him well. In verse 17, when they see what happened, it says they began to plead with him, Jesus, to depart from their region. Translation, we don't want you here. See, Jesus himself may not be wanted in your work. People are freaked out. They're offended. But guess what? Why do you think he has you there? He wants you to be proclaiming all that Jesus has done for you in that place. Jesus may be asked to leave from courthouses and schools. They sell a separation of church and state. But make no mistake, if he has you there, he sent you for a reason. That you would, just like this man, proclaim all that he's done for you. All right. Let me point something out. We are often hindered from sharing our faith for various reasons. The Barner stats are just glaringly low on the amount of uh, times that Christians share their faith. All right? One common deterrent is we think we have to know every answer to the skeptic's question before we feel comfortable sharing. And let me just encourage you with something and forever slay that lie. Now, if you know me at all, and I'm going to state up front that I absolutely believe that we should be people of the word. And I am a stickler for the word. I am zealous for accurate doctrine. Because Jesus says you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We need to know truth and ourselves be free so that we could have other people come to know freedom as well. Yes, we must study to show ourselves approved, 2 Timothy 2.15, to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. And yes, we must be ready, according to 1 Peter 3.15, to give a defense to everyone who asks us for the reason of the hope that is in us with meekness and fear. But let me just tell you this morning that the demoniac did not have to go to seminary and show his credentials before he could go and be a bold witness for Jesus, and neither do you. In John's Gospel, chapter 4, a Samaritan woman who's in sin and is thirsty in her soul comes and encounters the risen Lord. He's not risen then, but he's Lord anyway. And listen, after a brief conversation, genuine encounter, genuine revelation of who he is, the Bible says she left her pitcher and ran into Samaria to share what had just happened to her. And Jesus didn't holler and say, wait, 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 you have to at least do our 12-week Sunday school crash course on evangelism first. That's important. I love it. We have them. But don't let that be the thing that gives you boldness and confidence. Let it be the reality and the encounter of this Jesus we're talking about. What did these two unlikely missionaries have in common? What were their qualifications? A demoniac and an immoral woman? What was the thing they had in common? What was their qualification? Encounter. Say that with me. Encounter. The starting prerequisite to opening up our mouth for God is a genuine encounter with Jesus. And if, um, if you have had that, then you qualify to answer the call to what I have termed the Gadara Commission. What is the Gadara Commission? The Gadara Commission is when you go to the people in your sphere of influence and you tell them these two things in verse 19. 
what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion and mercy on you. If you've been the beneficiary of his compassion and mercy, and if you have had the Lord do great things in your life, then you qualify. Can I see a show of hands of how many of you have had the Lord do great things and have been beneficiary of mercy? Look at how many people we're going to send out to Decapolis after the service. Now listen, that's the beginning. It shouldn't stop there. There should be the beginning of our witness, but not the end. We ought to be ever learning and growing in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and by God's grace transitioning from the Gadara Commission to the Great Commission. What is the Great Commission? Jesus told us to go into all the world, to preach the gospel to every creature, make disciples of all nations, teach them to obey all that he's commanded us, and baptize them in water and fire. Just threw that one in there for fun. So... So we begin at the Gadara Commission. You encounter him, and he's done great things, been merciful. You can share that. That's all that demoniac had. But then, see, God has made this to where we have so many resources and tools that can help us boldly and confidently share the gospel. The Samaritan woman and the man from Gadara are limited in what they have access to. We have this blessed word, and we have tools unlimited to help us. What is the Gadara man's message? He proclaims all that Jesus has done for him. What is the Samaritan woman's message? She says, come see a man who told me everything. Can we not do likewise? Can we not do the same? What is the master's message? Repent and believe the gospel. Guys, we're not talking about eloquent and elegant exegesis, but authenticity. God's truth spoken in love will melt the hardest heart. How can I be so sure? He certainly found a way to do it in yours, didn't he? And more than just the obligation to go and share is the absolute joy of seeing people come to Christ, come to freedom, come to feel and know that he's good, come to follow him through your testimony. No greater joy. So briefly, we've looked at the life of a man 2,000 years ago who encountered Jesus and was radically changed as a result of that. This morning, I want you to hear the testimony of another man who only a few months ago came to encounter this same Jesus. Would you help me welcome my friend and brother Nick as he comes to share a little bit of his story with you? morning. So I'd like to start off just by saying, you know, obviously this might be evident for most of you all, but um, I'm not a theologian. Uh, I'm not a modern day apologist, although maybe, maybe one day I would like to become one, who knows. <clears throat> but um, all I know is what has happened to me in my life in what I've been through, and I'm still just a baby in the Word, and I like to, I like to relate to blind Bart. See, I was blind, now I see, so I follow. All right. So with that being said, my name is Nick, uh, born and raised in Richmond, Virginia, and I'm a Russian-American. Um, <laughs> So, when I was 17 years old, I was introduced to heroin, and it completely destroyed my life. I soon became addicted, and during my addiction, I lied, I cheated, I stole, I manipulated everybody around me, I did whatever it took to get my hands on what I wanted. I stole from my family, I took their jewelry, I stole my and sold my father's television, I sold the guitar that my father bought me, and so he bought me another one, I sold that one as well, and another one, and that one as well. My father got me five guitars throughout the course of my addiction, 
and I don't have one to show for it today. And so through lying, through cheating, through stealing and manipulating, I burned every relationship I had. I burned every bridge I had with people. Nobody wanted to associate with me because they knew what I was doing. They knew what I did and that I was a junkie. I was arrested multiple times. I went to jail multiple times. Um, I went to multiple rehabs to no avail. I would go to a rehab, come home, and start getting high again that same day. At one point in my addiction, I actually lived on the street out of a tent. And every single day, I would go to a gas station and beg for money. Not one day did I miss. See, that's what my addiction drove me to do, that every single day I would go and beg. In the last four months of my addiction, I ended up overdosing. Not one time, not twice, not three, but I lost count at seven times. Statistically speaking, I should be a statistic. See, addiction, it just, it plunged me into such a a pit of misery. I was so lost. I was broken. I was hopeless. I didn't know what to do. And the only thing I knew to do was to get more and just blind out what was really going on. But in reality, I was just digging myself deeper and deeper. I was just broken. I was lost and miserable. And so in September 2016... As I was still in addiction, I met Pastor Artem here. My father introduced me to him. We got up over some food, and he shared his testimony with me. And I was truly inspired by what he told me. Because I thought to myself that here sits this man who went through the same thing that I was going through at the time, yet he is free. Yet he has peace, yet he has joy. He is not in shackles. How? I don't get it. At the time, I didn't understand. And so I thought to myself, there must be a God. There must be something that I'm not getting about Jesus or God, that how can this man break free of this slavery? I mean, I am just in prison mentally and depressed, and is this possible? So it it truly, truly got me to start thinking. And he continued to sow seed into me. Unfortunately, I continued to do what I wanted to. And I met the end of my rope when I got incarcerated again in July 2017. I got locked back up, but this time... It was just different. When I came to jail, I was just so done this time. See, I didn't want to get locked up again to go to jail, come home, and start getting high again and repeat the cycle over and over as I have done for years. I was so tired of that. I was just so done. And so I just started to pray genuinely with my heart, asking God, please just free me of this. I no longer desire to get high. I don't want this anymore. Please, God, can you do it for me? Please, in Jesus' name, you did it for our Tim. You did it for others. I'm begging you. And so I genuinely started to pray and genuinely started to search the scriptures because I knew that there was just more to life than what I was doing. And so as I continued to do that, things started to change. My attitude started to change and my behavior started to change. I started to notice these things working within me. Even my gratitude started to change. I I started to become grateful for the food that they were serving, for the clothes that they gave us, because I knew that there are people across the world who are dying because they don't have a single grain of rice, but there's somebody next to me complaining because the food doesn't taste good or it's not enough. So I had these things stir up in me, and then I also had this this revelation of grace upon my life that, you know, there must be a reason why I'm alive. There must be a reason why I survived 
seven overdoses. There must be a reason. Brothers and sisters, if you're wondering why I have a scar on my hand, it's because when I was 15 years old, me and eight of my friends were driving in a Jeep Cherokee going 80 miles an hour. We hit a 45-degree angle turn, and the car flipped over 10 times. Nine people in a Jeep Cherokee. And we all walked out of that vehicle with cuts and scratches. I was one of the worst. So there must be a reason. There must be a reason why when I nodded out and fell asleep at the wheel and drove through a red light that I didn't kill somebody or myself. There must be a reason. So this continued to stir within me. I I saw this and I had this revelation to myself and By the grace of God, November 30th, I was released from jail. And I had no desire to get high. I had no desire to drink. I had no desire to smoke. And still, since I have been released, I have not smoked one cigarette. Praise God. Praise God. And since I have been out, God has been showering me with blessings left and right. He has given me clothes because I needed some new clothes. He has given me a phone. My phone broke. A guitar. He provided me with a guitar. All these things he provided for me because I got on my knees and I asked him, I said, you brought me here. You released me from jail. You gave me life. Can you provide these things for me, God, please? I trust you, Lord. And of course, he did. He provided me a job, and it's interesting, Ephesians 4.28 says, Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Can I tell you all that? As soon as I read that verse, my stepfather walked into my room and asked me for some money. So I gave it to him. My mother asked me for $10.00. And all I had was a $20 bill, so I gave it to her. And she could not believe that. Because here sits her son, who just six, seven months ago was calling her every day, begging her for $5. Mom, can you please give me $5? You have $3, $2. I'll take a dollar, please, anything. But here I am helping her with that. Here I am helping her with the dishes, with the yard work, and whatever else she might need, solely because of God's grace upon my life. And so, brothers and sisters, I share my testimony with y'all because I really want to encourage you all that no matter what you're facing in your life, no matter what giant you might be facing in your life, that God is good, he is able, and he is willing to slay those giants for you, just as he slayed the giant of addiction in my life and continues to slay giants in my life. In church, I I also sincerely want to thank you all for supporting our Tim and Jackie's ministry, for it has greatly impacted my life. See, because you sowed into them, they sowed seed into me that I watered and God increased That God willing, one day I might be an instrument to sow seed among others that they may water and God might increase and then they will scatter seed and that becomes the body of Christ. So church, I thank you all so much for allowing me to share my testimony and God bless you all. When I met this young man a year and a half ago, he was miserable, and he was in terrible bondage, just like the first man we read about. An entire year passed of walking with him, meeting him, investing in him, taking him to rehab, visiting him in jail when he got locked up. Bringing him to church, even though he was high on heroin, sitting right on this front seat. Encouraging him. Praying for him. And then one day, 
the same God who rescued a man in the first century, reached down his merciful hand in late 2017 and began to rescue this one. And now by the grace of God, here he sits, clothed with humility, seated at the feet of Jesus and in his right mind. Come on, somebody. God is alive. Glory to your name, God. See, God had encountered me in 2010 while I was serving a seven-year prison sentence for being a heroin addict. And he absolutely changed my life. The main encouragement that Nick received from my life was not my polished theology or my oratory skills. Do you know what it was? I shared simply with him how much the Lord has done for me and how he has had mercy on me. I invited him like the Samaritan woman to come see a man who changed me from the inside out. And then, just like my Lord told me, I implored him to repent and believe the gospel. Of course, we talked about truth. Of course, we opened the Bible. Of course, we prayed. But the greatest encouragement and greatest success was nothing more than the Gadara Commission. And now we have the privilege of discipling and teaching this young man and thereby fulfilling the Great Commission. Friends, please realize that God wants to use every one of you in some form or fashion to impact people around you and change their eternal destiny. I personally believe that every true follower of Christ is a missionary at one sense or another. Thank you, Lord. Is anyone encouraged this morning? All right. Praise God. Because that was the sweet. Now unto the sour. As amazing and beautiful as this relationship and journey we get to enjoy with Christ is. And as bad as we should want all men and women to have it. And as fun as it is to share how good he's been to us. And as satisfying as it is to glorify him through our lips and lives There are other serious consequences at stake here. We're talking about encountering him. And then we're talking about engaging other people. When we think about other people, we must remember what terrible bondage they daily face if they don't know God. The emptiness, the depression, the confusion, the despair and loneliness. And if that was not enough motivation for us to reach out, there is yet another motive something even more seriously consequential to the spiritual death that we have to recognize. The sober reality of Scripture is that people who do not believe and follow Jesus are in a world of hurt, not only now, but also in the future. The gospel is really, really, really good news to those who respond to it. But on the contrary, the gospel is really bad news to those who don't. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 2, I'll just quote it to you. Verses 16 and 17 say, We are God to God, the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. So here's two groups of people being saved and perishing. Now we don't have the same pleasant effect on everyone. Verse 17 continues to the one referring to those who are perishing. The Bible says, We are the aroma of death leading to death. And to the other, talking about those who are being saved in the previous verse, we are the aroma of life leading to life. Man, it is so exciting and amazing to hear people come to know Jesus. And there should be an excitement and a stirring in us. And there should be a realization that, man, people are in bondage. And that should drive us to want to talk to them. But equally so, we have to be aware. The Bible talks about things that happen after this life. So the first verse we're going to look at is present. And the next verse we're going to look at is the one to come of the serious consequence as we look at the people around us who do not know Christ. I would be almost willing to bet that every one of us in here could quote John 3.16. Let's do it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting or eternal life. A breathtaking promise, is it not? But we must not forget that John 
336 states something right after that. And if you have your Bible, would you turn really quickly there? So if you're in Mark, go right to Luke and John, John's Gospel, chapter 3. I have it up. I want you to see it for yourself. John 3:36. The Bible says, "He who believes in the Son has everlasting life." Glorious, amazing, astounding good news here. What is eternal life to know him now and for all of eternity? But the rest of the verse says, he who does not believe in the Son will not see life, but instead, watch here closely the language, the wrath of God abides, present tense, on him. To the man who believes and follows Jesus Christ, this is cause for shouting and great rejoicing, eternal life. But what about the man who rejects him? Your Bible says that the wrath of God remains on him. That's shocking. That's not good news. Let me ask you, how many of you know people who don't know God currently, who aren't following God currently, who aren't obeying God currently? Can I see your hand? I would imagine every one of us. Turn with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. This might be a little harder to find. 2 Thessalonians Chapter 1. It's right before Timothy and right after Colossians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, and we're going to begin at verse 6. Now when we drop in, Paul is in mid-sentence, he's making an argument. I encourage you when you get home, read that uh, from from the beginning. But we're going to drop in right in verse 6, 2 Thessalonians 1, 6 says this, since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Let me go back over what this verse just said. Paul is writing here to a church undergoing great persecution. And as he usually does, he comforts them with the return of Christ. He says, when Jesus is revealed, talking about his return from heaven, he will be coming with his mighty angels in flaming fire to do what? To take vengeance? The Greek word ekdikasis, meaning revenge or punishment on those who don't know God or obey him. Friends, the same Jesus who healed the crippled, the same Jesus who opened blind men's eyes, the same Jesus who stopped the hand that was about to stone a woman caught in adultery, the same Jesus who forgave sin, fed the multitude, took lashes and nails on that cross, is the same Jesus who is coming to execute vengeance on two groups of people. Please notice who they are in verse 8. Those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel. Wow. Here's the scariest of all. These very well can be our parents, our children, our aunts and uncles, cousins, co-workers, neighbors, roommates, and classmates. Is that true? And I know this is serious and scary, but we cannot shrink back from talking about it. Please understand what we're reading here. This is a divine promise to people who don't know God and obey him. Likewise, it's the same time a divine promise to those who do. Look at verse 10. When he comes in that day, Jesus is going to be glorified in his saints and admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. The word admired here in the Greek 
Ta'umzo means to wonder at, to marvel, to have admiration. Here's two very opposite reactions. The second group, he's coming and they're admiring. Wow, there he is, my beloved. I've been waiting for him, my bridegroom, adoring. The other group, terror and everlasting punishment. And in light of this sobering gospel truth, Paul concludes with one of my favorite prayers in verses 11 through 12. He says, therefore, meaning in light of everything we just discussed, therefore, we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So in response to this reality, there's four things that I would love for us to take away this morning. Things that I would hope we would wrestle with, meditate on, contemplate, God bless you, this week and hopefully the remainder of the year. In Russian culture, when somebody sneezes, that means, uh, they usually say, oh, that means somebody was speaking the truth. Does it not, mom? So... So here's four things I want us to take away this morning. Four responses. Response number one, the most natural reaction to the truth we have just examined in the scripture is inexplicable joy. Number one, inexplicable joy if you're taking notes. Why? Because you realize that at one moment in life, this was you, and this is what awaited you. You were lost. You were empty. You were dead until Christ came and gave you life and promised to one day whisk you away into eternity with him. This was no work of your own. You didn't deserve it. In no way could have earned it. By grace alone, through faith alone, did the gift of repentance and eternal life make its residency in your heart. That should elicit great joy and gratitude. Writing to the same people in his first epistle to the Thessalonians, Paul says joyfully in chapter 1, verse 9 and 10, he says, God delivered you from the coming wrath through Jesus because you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 declares, God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Those of you who have turned to God, who are serving him today, who have been justified by his blood, have great cause for inexplicable joy the rest of your days on this earth. Our second response to this truth, number one, inexplicable joy. Number two, unceasing anguish. Unceasing anguish. As sweet as this salvation tastes in our lives, we must remember how many do not have it in theirs. Speaking of his own countrymen who are lost, the Apostle Paul says in Romans 9, 1 and 3, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart for the sake of my own people, the Israelites. Notice the same man who told us to rejoice, again I say rejoice, confessed to at the same time having great sorrow and unceasing anguish in his heart for his lost countrymen. If you don't happen to find the sorrow and anguish in your heart, ask God to give you the kind of heart that beats and bleeds for other people. I know that the Lord of the harvest delights in answering this kind of prayer. Inexplicable joy, unceasing anguish. Number three, if this is all true, then people desperately need us to respond on their behalf with fervent prayer and intercession. First Timothy chapter 2, we read, I urge then, first of all, that petition, prayer, and intercession be made for all people. This is good and pleases God, our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. So the Bible urges us to fervently be praying and interceding for the lost around us. And it says this is good and it pleases God. Inexplicable joy, unceasing anguish, fervent prayer and intercession, and lastly, and possibly most importantly, the response that this should elicit in us 
is an urgency in engaging others by sharing the gospel. Romans 10, 14, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? You are his body, and God wants to use you to share about how great he is and how merciful he has been to you. And if there's one thing we cannot tolerate being lukewarm about, it is the matter of souls. And honestly, it is super easy to do. We get into our nine-to-five routine. We forget how serious this thing is. Sometimes we expect someone else to do what God has commissioned us to do. All of us, all of us who have come to taste how sweet, to taste how good he is, if you've tasted that he is good, God wants to use you. And we can all begin at least at the beginner's level of the Gadara Commission We can certainly proclaim in our Decapolis how good Jesus has been to us. Amen? Amen. In closing, I want to ask you to be still for a moment. And for every person in this room, just close your eyes with me. I want you to examine in your heart right now in the presence of the Lord. He's here as we speak. First, my dear friend, if I were to ask God this morning about you, and if I wanted to know, Lord, does this person currently know you and is obeying the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, what would be his answer? Only you and him truly know that answer. Beloved, if you are not following Christ, If you have never acknowledged him, surrendered to him, trusted in him, if you have never truly turned away from your sin and from living for yourself, but you realize today that you want to, if the spirit of God is stirring in you the desire to want to know God and obey the gospel, then I want to ask you to be bold. I want to ask you to rise from your seat and come to this altar right now. I want you to know this altar has nothing special about it. What you're doing by this act is making an outward declaration in the sight of Almighty God and His saints that today you are responding to the Holy Spirit stirring truth in you. Next, if you are here and you started off well, you had a genuine encounter with Christ at some point in your life, But if currently your life does not look like it should due to sin, willful compromise, persistent disobedience, if you have any chain or bondage that seem to continue to perpetuate in your life, offense, unforgiveness, addiction to smoking, drinking, pornography, anger, idolatry of any kind, and you want to come and lay that sin down today for good and turn from those idols, I would like to invite you up here as well. Lastly, if you have been dry or lukewarm in your personal relationship, if you've been neglecting the secret place, or if it has just been a really long time since you had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ for yourself, and you desire that, I want to invite you as well. Everyone else left in your seat. I just want to ask you to begin to intercede and lift up your heart and your prayers to God for these precious ones up here as we give them a moment to respond. Those of you who are down here, I'm just just giving you an opportunity to respond this morning as we spend a, a moment worshiping God.
said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will open unto me, I will come in. Isaiah says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and turn to the Lord and he will abundantly pardon. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to cry out to him. Don't be afraid to lift your voice. He's listening to you now. He's been waiting for you. His arms are opened wide for you. Today is your day. Today is your day. Today is the day of salvation. Everything is open before you. Father, I thank you for these precious ones who stand here before you, God. They stand here and as a response to you. God, and so we pray and we ask, would you have your way in them, God? Would you give them a new heart, God? Would you give them a clean conscience, God? Would you give them a sincere faith, God? Would you lead them by your will, God? Would you allow them to live for your glory, God? We thank you, Father. We thank you, Father. We thank you, Father. If I could just have maybe the altar ministers come up. If you could just begin to maybe lay your hands and just pray on these precious ones. Pray over them. Ask them if whatever their prayer request is, if they need to repent, if they need to turn to the Lord. We're also going to have some prophetic in just a moment. I want to go ahead and dismiss you guys. If anyone needs prayer, listen, we have ministers available. Just ask you to take advantage. Say God bless you to you. Amen. Amen.